Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gill, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And today we're going to cover kind of a, a topic that relates to one of Dr. Smith's classes on philosophy of God uh, that he's currently running. Um, but we want to take uh, uh, we we want to take a little bit different approach. But before we get into t- today's topic, I want to invite all of our listeners. Please hit that subscribe button. I know it's something little, but it helps us out a lot uh, in in building and uh, growing our community here at Catholic Studies Academy. To because we really want to grow it beyond just uh, the formal classes that we offer, but we really want to grow a community of serious Catholics who want to grow deeper in their Catholic faith and think seriously and deeply about uh, some difficult issues mm-hmm. uh, with our faith and also uh, get back to some of the philosophical foundations that uh, that really uh, hold up the reasons for the uh, for why we have faith. And uh, we're going to cover some of that today. And the topic is going to be natural theology. Um, and before, but, but we're going to take a little bit of a different angle uh, today with Dr. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually when people talk about natural theology or, you know, it, it, it quickly gets into faith and reason, which is a great, I mean, that's our, that's our motto here at Catholic Studies mm-hmm. Academy. Sure. Uh, it's, it's a great way to go. Um, but we want to take a little bit different uh, approach in talking mm-hmm. about natural theology. And that's because there's even some hesitancy among uh, Christians and Christian theologians about natural theology that, that, that we're, we're, we're setting God, we're setting God to our standards of mm-hmm. reason and, and, and judging God by our standards of reason as opposed of letting God be the standard of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dr. Smith, uh, to get us started, maybe you can, uh, maybe just let's, let's define our terms here in natural theology and maybe set sure. up the problem a little bit for us to, to dive into today. Sure. Thanks, Jason. So um, the term uh, natural theology, I mean, it's, it's uh, probably a term that unless you're just really into philosophy and theology, you know, you probably <laughs> may not even ever heard the phrase natural theology uh, as such. Uh, it's um, that phrase is used to distinguish a way of studying God. So it's a kind of mm-hmm. theology, um, a way of studying God, thinking about God um, that is natural as distinct from uh, supernatural, uh, right. that is what's usually called, or at least among the scholastics, called sacred doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so natural theology is a way of studying God that is um, uh, philosophical in nature, right? Yep. It's rooted in the light of natural reason. Now, in a certain sense, this is actually as old as philosophy. Uh, you know, you have Plato and the Timaeus, um, as well as in a couple of other texts, pushing towards the study of God. Now, as a philosopher, when we're thinking about God, strictly from a philosophical perspe- perspective, you know, we're mm-hmm. thinking about the ultimate principle, the ultimate origin, the ultimate source, right? Is there such yeah. a thing, right? And if so, how do we know it exists? And what are its attributes, things of that nature? That's, you know, uh, of course, uh, you know, similar to what Christian theologians are doing, um, you mm-hmm. know, the God of the Bible is um, the ultimate source of things. But of course, you know, we say a lot more about uh, about God you know, from sacred scripture than we would say from uh, 
a philosopher's perspective. But the two sure. sort of subject matters are uh, consistent with each other. They're not contradictory mm-hmm. as much as they are uh, uh, distinct. Um, sometimes natural theology is called philosophy of God um, mm-hmm. in a more contemporary setting. Like if you were to go to a Catholic seminary, you would probably take a class in uh, philosophy of God, for example. Or Catholic Studies Academy. We have that. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, you're just giving people, Jason, the resources they need. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this uh, is a study of God that proceeds along uh, the lines of um, the light of reason. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of Christians have historically endorsed this idea. Um, that is that alongside of studying God and trying to understand God in the light of sacred scripture, we can also try to study God and understand God in the light of reason. Sometimes this is given, I think, a, a wrong picture. It's what I would sure. call the cake. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's the view that you do, you do a complete natural theology first, and then you add on top of it the icing of sacred doctrine. Uh, I don't think that's really what historically was intended or what was done, right? I mean, I, I think from yeah. Shaddock's point of view, if I was in a formal debate, say, with an atheist philosopher, you know, I would, of course, appeal first to uh, arguments from reason. Why is that? Well, just because from a rhetorical and dialectical position, uh, he's not going to share faith in scripture with me, but he will yeah. share, right? Um, he should share uh, the principles of causality and things of that nature. Um, Mm -hmm. So from a practical dialectical point of view, right, I might sometimes employ aspects of natural theology um, without explicitly uh, speaking to sacred doctrine. Uh, But that's because of the the circumstances in which, you know, I would be operating. Historically, natural theology and sacred theology have been studied together, right, as mutually informative. um, And, you know, certainly with sacred theology being primary, uh, and, right. and uh, um, you know, natural theology being secondary, uh, it's a it's an instrument, it's a rule, right? That Christian theologians can use. Thomas says not because there's anything lacking in sacred scripture, Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. um, but because there's something lacking in the students, right? And that yeah. that, that natural theology, in terms of using because it uses terms and ideas that are open to reason, to natural reason, um, is something that um, is pedagogically effective, right? For students, right? And so it's helpful and useful in that sense. It doesn't replace sacred scripture or sacred doctrine by any stretch, um, but it it complements it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think the, whether whether it's, expressed this way or not i think the biggest one of the biggest things within the human person is there is this deep seated need for consistency sure you know if if god's the god of everything mm-hmm. then i want theology to make sense mm-hmm. and that's kind of the that's kind of the or for me that's the 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 layman's term that i always just go back to does mm-hmm. it make sense does it yeah. does it fo- do the things we teach in theology uh, you know, follow, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, we want sure. to, we don't just want to um, kind of 
leave things to God's arbitrary will or, or say that, or even say that God has this arbitrary will where the only reason why something is, is because God wills it to be, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that there's, that there's no design, there's no, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Right. right? And so, yeah. and so when we're, we're studying our faith, you know, we, you know, we want to bring up things. Well, you know, how can I understand you know, I already believe, but if somebody doesn't believe, how can I come to under, or what can I come to understand about the world around me? What can I come to sure. understand just from looking at uh, nature? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And I think even as a believer, right, you know, you might, you might sort of say, okay, well, you know, on the grounds of sacred scripture, I accept that God is the creator of the universe and he's providential and things of that nature. Um, yeah. But, you know, philosophy provides a lot of, I would say, resources for sure. uh, as natural theology provides a lot of resources for the Christian to think those things through. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, what we might say on the basis of sacred scripture, well, God is unchanging. That's true. Okay. Scripture tells us that and teaches us that, but why is God unchanging? What does it mean for yeah. God to be unchanging? How do we know that? What are the implications of, of the unchangingness of God? Well, that's, you know, uh, sacred, uh, sorry, natural theology can provide the Christian uh, with materials to think that through, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, so, and that way, again, I think it's very, uh, it's very useful. You would think about God's, uh, you know, God's um, omnipotence, right? Yeah. God's uh, providential care of things. Well, you know, I mean, again, you can just kind of have a imaginative picture of somebody, you know, with a scepter giving decrees and angels going around and pushing cars over. But, you know, I think that's probably, not the best approach. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it makes it makes for good fiction. It, it does, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would think you know. Whereas I certainly think angelic powers exist and that angelic powers are active, but I think that they're they're nestled within a broader system of causes. And again, philosophy can provide to in a handmaiden like way provide to yeah. sacred theology um, ideas about causality, first and secondary causes. Um, that uh, can be used by the Christian theologian to articulate the ways in which God is providence, yeah. right? Um, so it's it's not substituting Scripture again; it's it's just a, a supplement uh, to it. Does now, that maybe, make sense? Can, can you? Yeah, yeah, it really does. Now, set up the problem for us. Where does where does maybe some of the 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 pushback from mm-hmm. Christian theologians like? What is their kind of what is their what is their kind of main beef with natural theology? So this comes from a variety, really, of perspectives. Uh, one sort of uh, slightly older uh, version would be the kind of theology that comes out of Dutch Reform theology in the 19th century, Dutch and German Reform, represented uh, primarily by Cornelius Van Til, who mm-hmm. uh, was active uh, in America. Uh, he was uh, influenced by Gerhardus Voss and, to a lesser extent, Hermann Bobbink. Uh, they're... Um, you know, interesting theologians in a lot of ways, but one of the things that, that Voss thought is that if the natural theology, and I, get it, I just think he didn't, didn't understand Thomas on these points, but um, the natural theology um, um, compromises mm-hmm. sacred theology because it makes God and the Bible subject to human reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that's one kind of objection. Um, I'm just going to give a couple that are illustrative. Sure. 
general thing. Uh, another kind of uh, objection would come from someone like Karl Barth, um, who wants to say that um, that you know really that God is outside of our categories of experience to such a degree, right? Mm-hmm. That when God enters that experience, it's it's shattering, right, um, of the human condition, and that what uh, theology does, what natural theology does, is reduce God to our category of being, and therefore take away the radical conversion that is supposed to take place when um, uh, when when God enters uh, our experience, right. So uh, mm-hmm. there, you know, interestingly, you know, sometimes, you know, he uses the phrase that the analogy of being is antichrist, uh, <laughs> which is meant to be, you know, rhetorically forceful. Um, yeah. You know, his, his way of understanding, um, you know, Christian theology, sometimes he calls it reformed theology. I would caution anyone to say it's not historical reformed theology by any stretch. It's reformed theology done through the lens of Heidegger and uh, existential. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, he's taking those those terms and, you know, kind of translating traditional reform uh, concepts into um, existential existentialist kind of language. Right. Um, So the, um, um, you know, for example, he'll talk about God as being pure, purely actual. uh, But what he means by that is God is really active. Right. Oh. He's going around and doing stuff okay. all the time, right? <laughs> He's right. the busybody, exactly. Yeah, yeah God, the busybody. Um, yeah. So, um, we have to be cautious there. But uh, you know, in the background is Heidegger, and Heidegger has a, a, a very influential. I think this is very influential on Karl Rahner. I think very influential on a large number of. Um, Theologians, you see Karl Rahner, like he turns natural theology away from its classical articulation as an objective philosophical science, right? Mm-hmm. It turns it towards really anthropology, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, natural theology becomes the anthropo- anthropological exploration of the needs and desires of the human person. Um, which yeah, almost turns it into sociology, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what, you know, Heidegger has in view here is that that what happened is, is that man in his insecurities, right? Before Mm. uh, his anxiety about the temporality of his own being uh, and the finitude of his own being creates a concept of being that emphasizes permanence and presence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and in doing so falls off from the authenticity of his own human condition, right? Which is finitude. It takes that, that notion of permanence, and extrapolates it out until he invents God, which is the ultimate guarantor of man's continued existence. And yeah. so what you have is an onto being theology, but it's a theology of being in the sense that it's a theology entirely derived from our anxiety ridden um, notion of being, right? That we yeah. created in our own human condition. It's a really interesting view, right? Now, one thing that's kind of interesting is Heidegger, you know, is a, uh, went to Jesuit school and was in a. <laughs> right, yeah, <okay>. just noting. <laughs> and he wrote his dissertation. Who do, who do you think he wrote his dissertation on? Scotus. Who's... Yeah, causality, <laughs> you know, university of being, all that. that stuff. But yeah, so yeah, 
anyways, um, that's kind of in the background of a lot of concerns, right? You know, so that really, you know, onto the ontotheological onto critique of metaphysics is can also become the ontotheological critique of theology, right? Uh, yeah. Which is that really, you know, uh, what we are dealing with in natural theology is a um, a kind of uh, falsification, a kind of effort to um, dominate uh, being, dominate our own condition, um, such that it's really kind of, it's almost kind of disrespectful of God and disrespectful of the human condition uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of not a respectable kind of enterprise, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, dodgy and suspect uh, to be involved <laughs> in this kind of thing, right? Um, you know, like what, I mean, this is funny because, you know, I just taught a class at a, at a fine university uh, on medieval philosophy. <clears throat> and this was not a philosophy of God class. We, we didn't focus uh, on the, the classical demonstrations of God existence, but, you know, we, we did spend a couple weeks on it. And one of the students got really angry during the class, you know, really, um, I guess, annoyed, I should say, not angry, maybe, but really annoyed, <laughs> and, and spoke up and said, why is he doing this? Like, why, if you believe why all these arguments, you know, which was really interesting, you know, like, why would you yeah. be so frustrated, right? Uh, of course, I you know, tried to explain to him, I, I thought it grew out of the historical faith-seeking understanding project that you yeah. find, you know, within the Christian tradition. Uh, he didn't seem to care for that. <laughs> there is a kind, there is a strain, this is interesting, of both Christianity, but I've also found of people outside of Christianity who think that genuine religion must be romantic, must be mystical, right? Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. And that if there's yeah. any intellectual um, kind of cognitive character to it, there's sure. something kind of suspect about it, right? I mean, and I yeah. think Heidegger's kind of in that mode. I mean, Heidegger really, you know, he's a phenomenologist, um, but, you know, he's, he's coming out of the German intellectual background, which is, you know, heavily influenced by Schleiermacher and, and the various German idealists who really emphasize right that genuine religion is the feeling of dependence in your heart and anything outside of that is falsification you know so that's i think that's another strain right you get um that kind of pushes against uh natural theology is that is that helpful yeah 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 it is and even even you know um you know in contemporary times you know christian smith's you know term uh, uh, moral therapeutic deism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So even like even kind of that that view is almost a romantic, you know, and I use it air quotes here, w- romantic view of God, where you know God is God exists and He's good insofar as He motivates us to mm-hmm. do the right thing or to do what is good. So it, it's it's you know it's it's based on a really kind of soft philosophy of God, one that's sure. just squishy and uh, just unsatisfying if you begin to really dive into i think a lot of these issues and say uh my mind wants to make sense of these i want to uh uh, i want to understand you know the the omnipotence with you know uh um with with all of who god is and uh the the basis of his creation around us like you know and, and also you know how it relates to um uh, maybe this is something we can get into, you know, like this this kind of right relationship with, 
you know, sacred theology and also the, the, the other branches of philosophy as well, right? Um, I, you know, there, 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 again, there's this, I think there's a real seeking for consistency. Yeah. Sure, with regards sure. to all this, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and so. yeah, so maybe we can dive into some of that. Yeah. So the, I mean, I think we want to be clear that sacred theology is higher than uh, natural theology. And there's a yeah. very good reason for that. It's not just a, a, a piety. Uh, sacred theology is really shared theology, right? Yeah. Uh, Thomas calls it a, um, um, oh, the name just, the word just escaped me. Um, it's like a subordinate science, right? Yeah. Subordinate in this sense, uh, it's subordinate to God's science of himself. So in <laughs> sacred scripture, right? I'm sorry. Uh, sacred scripture is God sharing his own self-knowledge of who mm-hmm. and what he is and what he has done in history, right? Yeah. So only God, right? Um, uh, I think subalternate science is what I was uh, looking for. Uh, the um, only God know, it's only proper to God to know his own essence, right? Yeah. And the contingent things that he decrees, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of the things in that, that, you know, that make up salvation history are in regards to God's essence contingent, right? God did not have to um, save mankind, right? Uh, God did not have to bring about the incarnation, all those sorts of things, right? The whole long, bizarre history of the people of Israel, right? All that sort of thing, right? Like that that wasn't, strictly speaking, necessary in comparison to the divine essence. It was contingent. So God alone, right, is the one who knows those things and he shares them with us in sacred scripture. So there what we have is really a... Um, a sharing of God's own mind. Okay. Yeah. With us. That's a higher light, obviously, right? Than the light of natural reason, right? Uh, there we have the mind that is God, the light of God's own mind is the source of sacred theology. Whereas the light involved in natural theology is the light of reason, which is an analog to the divine mind, a remote and imperfect sort of indication of the divine mind, but as a far lower one, right? So sacred uh, theology is always higher than uh, Mm -hmm. uh, natural theology. Now, what's the basis here? Let's, what's the basis here of natural theology? So, yeah, so in, in, if you think about sacred theology, its basis, right, is revelation and faith. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, why do you believe that um, Isaac was the son of promise? Well, because God told me so. Right. Is <laughs> a perfectly adequate answer, actually. Yeah. Um, the now you might want to learn more things about why Isaac was the son of God, uh, son of promise, right, and what yeah. that means. But that it is so. You know, you could say Scripture tells me that's why. Right. You know, yeah. uh, God, God who can neither deceive nor be deceived as, as revealed it. Um, but we don't have anything like that, right. With respect to natural theology, the light of natural reason is reason intellect operating upon um, the objects of our experience, operating upon things with sensible qualities, operating upon yeah, yeah, yeah. changeable, contingent, composite, etc. Well, no, that's applicable to God. So then you sort of say, well, what is 
the basis for reason to explore uh, God, right? And, you know, one bad way of thinking about this <laughs> would be to say, well, we can arrive at a concept of being that can be extended to eventually include God himself, right? Though, so uh, there's an author named, uh, last name Lovejoy, who wrote a book called The Great Chain of Being. It's uh, very influential, unfortunately, on a lot of people and their understanding of medieval theology. Uh, I don't, I think it's a decent book, but it can also be very misleading in a lot of areas, especially with respect to Thomas Aquinas. Mm -hmm. um, there the picture is, well, you know, you have being and you abstract being more and you abstract being more. So you go from like um, quantitative, changeable, sensitive being, right? Or um, sensible being to yeah. being that is just uh, quantitative and sensible to being that's just quantitative to just being. And then you take being and you apply that to God. Now there is a certain way in which that that is, that kind of abstraction is part of metaphysics. Okay. Right. But metaphysics and natural theology are not the same in mm -hmm. Thomas's view, right? In metaphysics, we use a notion called ins commune we do abstract from ordinary experience to talk about being qua being, right? So one of the things that uh, I love, uh, I used to love torturing uh, philosophy majors with was, you know, <laughs> see, see them walking down the hall and say, hey, what is, what is being qua being, right? It was ends qua ends. <laughs> you know, you're like, I don't know, Dr. Smith. Nobody um, knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that's the matter of metaphysics, properly speaking, okay? That's not what we're doing in natural theology. Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing there is reaching up towards not the subject matter of metaphysics, but the cause of the subject matter. Yeah. Do you follow me yeah. there, right? The subject matter is this just all this being, right? And all the kind of being that can be studied under ins commune, which includes immaterial being, being like um, intellectual being, the being of the angels, uh, as well as sensible being, but it doesn't include God, right? Yeah. Uh, God is not part of the subject matter of metaphysics. Uh, God is, um, metaphysics is related to God insofar as God is the cause of the subject matter of metaphysics. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That distinction is very helpful in, you know, looking at or, or understanding that relationship between, uh, metaphysics and, and how, when we're looking at uh, um, natural theology, we're not doing uh, metaphysics, but again, we're going right. back to that. Uh, uh, what's the causal relationship? That's right. What's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, the, obviously natural theology sort of takes its launches itself from metaphysics in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. It, it's presupposes metaphysics, um, but it's really a, a science that's very analogous in, in nature uh, and mm -hmm. it's one that's based on a, this is going to, it's technical here, but uh, <laughs> uh, based on an equivocal causal relation or a Ooh, yeah, non-generic uh, or non-univocal causal relationship. Um, so this is- maybe, a, you can, maybe you can go through that real <laughs> quick, the univocal, equivocal analogous real quick. So this gets, a, the, the terminology gets a little difficult. All right. I just, I'm just sorry. It's just this way it is. Okay. 
Um, but it's helpful. It's helpful. It is. Once, yes. Yeah. 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 Once you get it. So first thing we need to recognize, right, is that all of nature is compared to God as effect to cause, right? That's the, the, the relation that makes it possible mm-hmm. for us to do natural theology. And the reason right. is that in any causal relationship, the effects in some way resemble the cause, right? Right. There is something uh, about the effects that teaches you something about the cause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, indicates something uh, about the cause. So insofar as all of nature is an effect of God, nature mm-hmm. can resemble or teach us something about, uh, about God, right? Um, yeah. And that's really sort of uh, uh, the basis for doing uh, natural theology. Now, that said, we don't apply. So that's kind of like the foundation. Now, one might say, see, well, you know, Lovejoy and, and all those critics are correct because, well, then you're just yeah. going to be using natural categories and putting God under those natural categories and saying, see, like, you know, Socrates is wise and God is wise and wisdom is the category. And we predicate the, that term wisdom of both subjects. But that's incorrect in terms of doing natural theology. And that's because we have different forms of predication and that di- and those different forms of predication depend on different forms of causality, right? Right. So a little bit of a deep dive here. Yeah, but- and, and by, and so, so by that, you, you, we can say God is wise and Socrates is wise, but we mean completely different things. Like we're, we're not saying those, that, that Socrates is equal to God in wisdom or anything like that, or correct. Socrates is wise in the same sense that we say God is wise. Correct. Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the three forms of predication. So let me say this, what I mean by this word predication. Predication yeah. just means when you take a, a, a term and predicate it of a subject, say it of a subject, right? Yes. Yeah. So Jill runs. Jill is the subject. Runs is the predicate. We're predicating mm-hmm. running of Jill. Okay. That's right. Yeah grammatical point but it's important right yeah and it's important that we can we can say one word of another in a variety of ways um we can predicate one term of another in a variety of ways one way we can do that is univocally and that's when we predicate the same term with the same meaning of different subjects so there for example if i say the red ball and the red shirt right red means the same in both subjects that'd be univocal predication Mm-hmm. Equivocal predication uh, is when we use the same word, but with a completely different meaning for two different subjects. So, for example, the wing of the house and the wing of a bird. We use the same yeah. term wing, but the meaning is radically different in both uh, subjects. Right. And it's, it's important here to not confuse equivocation and equivocal. Yes. Right? Yeah. Equivocate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, the the equivocation and equivocal are not the same thing as equivalent, right? That's what we have to watch out for. Right, equivalent, right? Yeah. So uh, there, so terrible. even though even though it's equivocation, <laughs> yeah, even though we're using the term equivocal, it doesn't mean equal. That's right. Exactly. Right. It means the so. opposite, <laughs> which is so confusing. <laughs> which is fun. This is what we do in philosophy, That's right? right? That's right. Um, and then finally, uh, we have the analogous predication. And this is where we have uh, the same meaning and a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the analogy, sort of the mixture of the two. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, uh, that's the way we can speak about God. We don't want to say that our language about God is totally equivocal because then our affirmations about God are meaningless. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but neither can we say they're univocal. Why is that? Again, that's not mere piety. It's the fact that God transcends all of our categories. And we know yeah. that, right? Because God is immutable, because God is a necessary being and everything else is contingent being, right? We could go on and on, right? So there's a qualitative difference, not a difference in degree. A right, right, right between God and every other being such that God cannot be included under any of the categories of being that we um, develop within um, our experience. Now, as I say, under, right? Uh, There's no genus that God fits under, okay? Um, even, Even being, right? If being were a genus, which is not. But even if you were to say being was a genus, Right, that God doesn't fit under that category either. Okay, the the best we can do is so it starts to sound like either you have to say God fits under a cat, creaturely category, and then we have a univocal science of God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or that God doesn't fit under any category, and therefore we have no science of God. Right. Right. And we want to say both are false, but what we can achieve is an analogous science of God based mm-hmm. on the causal relationship that obtains between creatures and God. Does that make a little bit of sense? Yeah. So with the, with the, and we're, I think most people are going to be familiar with just, you know, the using, using analogies that while we're getting at something that is true, we're pointing to maybe, you know, something that we can say positively about something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, our our example or our predication here is going to be just completely uh, lacking, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at any sort of analogy of the Trinity, right? Right. Um, right. The the Trinity is not like an egg. The yeah. Trinity is not like a shamrock. The, like in reality, you know what water, we're water, right? Wa- yeah, water. <laughs> I mean, like go on and on and on. Yeah, come on, Patrick. You know, like it's. The, the, <laughs> Everything, every analogy we use for the Trinity is wholly lacking, but, but they do, they, they can, uh, the analogies can give us a glimpse at an aspect sure. to where, uh, uh, that, that gives our mind something to grasp, mm-hmm. uh, that is true while, while at the same time, and this is, you know, the, the, the point of the analogy, right? While at the same time, um, remaining just wholly different. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the kind of uh, technical. So it's, there's a, there is a long debate about various forms of analogy uh, within yeah. uh, natural theology, within metaphysics in general. The form that the, the approach that I take that I think is the most useful is to think mm-hmm. about the analogy of attribution, and this is where you you predicate a term. Uh, of a primary instance and then of secondary instances in relation to the primary instance. All right. Give me an example of that. One. All right. So <laughs> the, uh, um, this is going to be a, a little bit of a weird example, but it's, a, it's helpful. It's the, it's the stock sure. example. So um, in a, the ancient world, you could say healthy of three different things. You could say healthy of a body, healthy of medicine, and then oddly enough, healthy of urine, right? Mm. The idea was that some, some samples of urine indicate 
a healthy body and other samples of urine indicate an unhealthy body. Okay. Now, now we might think, well, that's kind of weird, but you think about it, you take a blood test, you know, and you can say, yeah. Hey, that's a healthy sample and that's an unhealthy sample. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a more sophisticated understanding of, of that, but you're kind of getting at the sort of the same underlying sort of structure. So what's the primary instance of so play a game here, Jason, what's the primary <laughs> instance of health? Uh, is it the body? Is it the healthy body? Is it the healthy medicine or is it the healthy urine? Yeah. The, the five-year-old boy in me wants to say, wants to immediately <laughs> go in one direction. I'm going to say the body. That's right. Yeah. Health is primarily yeah. said the body, yeah. right? Yeah. We understand health, a healthy medicine and healthy urine in relationship to healthy body. Healthy Does that body. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's why it makes sense. We can say something like, you know, um, a given medicine is healthy. You might say, really? Like, how, how's the medicine healthy? Like, like yeah, it's, a pill. With, it's a pill. It can't be healthy. It's, it can't live or die. It can't function yeah. well or not. Right. What are you talking about? Right. Um, uh, but it makes sense to call it healthy because it's the cause of health in the body. Or right. you could say with the urine example, the way Thomas and Eric talk about it is it's an effect. It's a sign of a healthy body. Right. Right. So we could, it could make sense of attributing health in these other ways because of the main instance where we say health of uh, the body. Thomas uses this way of talking about analogy with respect to the categories of being. So we're talking Mm -hmm. about substance and the accidental categories. The accidental categories are called being because of their relationship to substance, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we say location is called being because um, location is something that may be said of substance, right? Things of that nature. So. In terms of God, right, the primary, um, if we're focusing on uh, just for the sake of brevity here, the proper perfections, um, yeah. if we're focusing on those, right, when we say wisdom, we actually attribute wisdom primarily to God and secondarily to Socrates, right? right. Uh, we, we, prim- uh, we attribute um, justice primarily to God and secondarily to uh, Solomon, right? So those are, are you know, why is that? Because God is the, the, the fullest, purest instantiation of every perfection, right? Yeah. Uh, and undividedly so. Um, so when we say Socrates is wise and God is wise, really what we're saying is that wisdom, right, in Socrates, which is an effect of God, okay, mm-hmm is a the wisdom is something like god <laughs> yeah the wisdom is an indication of god the wisdom is a um remote and imperfect um uh, resemblance of the undivided perfection that is god in himself right now the causal relationship that helps us to understand that so you see how that goes that direction it's our what we experience is said to be a likeness of God, not right. That God is a likeness of what we experience. Yeah. 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 And I think what you said earlier is helpful as well to remember here with regards to degree, right? We're not saying that, um, you know, God is just a higher degree of wise. Correct. Than than Solomon or somebody like that, you know, or, or uh, Socrates, right. That That's it's, right. but, but, but we're moving, we're, we're looking at the effect mm-hmm. and we're moving up towards uh, uh, the cause of that effect. 
That's right. Uh, not saying you know that you know God is the the highest effect because that's essentially what we would be saying, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, we, ne right. we never. Right. Yeah. You fall into real sorts of problems. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but but to to go from the effect back to the cause. That's right. That's right. And that allows us to say, look, I'm not uh, trying to include God under my category of wisdom. Right. Right. I'm saying my category of wisdom at best is a remote and imperfect likeness of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, that's yeah. not that's not a generic like here I've got a genus, here's wisdom, and then there's God and Socrates underneath that genus. That's not what I'm doing here. And that's not yeah, yeah. what we're doing in um in natural theology, right? Where we are doing a kind of theology that is um you might say semiotic in a way, right? That is, it's a sign sure. theology. It's a theology where we're dealing with um, uh, creaturely perfections as signs of God, right? Um, but not as categories that capture the essence of God. Right, and, and to even and to even say that you know, my my wisdom is in my experience of wisdom or my experience of whatever it is we're talking about, you know, is, you know, finds its fulfillment is it's, you know, is an image of, of, of what God is or who God is. But my experience of it is caused by God uh -huh. and is holy and entirely imperfect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So even though, even though I have an experience of this wisdom, I, I can never, I will never, you know, get yeah. at uh, the, you know, the, the wisdom, what real wisdom is in God. That's or, right. Yeah. Not in its fullness, not in its comprehension. And you don't want to say yeah. you know, like that God's wisdom or God and my wisdom or, or Socrates wisdom is a, on a continuum, right? Rather it's, 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 it's as different as the image of a man and the man himself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Those are a, two different categories, right? If you think about it, right? They're categorically different. Um, you know, here's a human being with virtues and vices and, and nutritive powers and arts and sciences and all this sort of thing and relations, et cetera. And then here's a picture and it has none of that, yeah. right? At best, it has sensible qualities. So these are categorically different kinds of things, right? Now I think that, man, that Thomas is just right on the money here and finding yeah. the thin balance point here, which is thin, but it's there, right? That we can talk about God in natural theology because without compromising his transcendence or without falling mm -hmm. into pure apophatism, uh, mm -hmm. we can do that because of a causal relation that allows us to talk about creatures as analogous, imperfect, and remote uh, signs of God, right? Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, and, and I think, and, and again, you know, as as difficult, I think, as you know, doing the 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 mental exercises <laughs> of it, uh, of going through kind of this kind of thought process and things, it it again, it, it, it goes back to I think that desire of you know, it, it makes sense, right? Sure, there's a sure. there's a consistency that we want to see, where you know, okay, if because uh, even I think at the basis, right? God, God has revealed all these things in nature. God has supernaturally revealed all these things. Mm -hmm. But if I can't really talk about it in any intelligent way, <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't help. There, yeah, it's it. Yeah, there's you know, it, 
it's just it's it's dissatisfying and it's uh mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it it again it it points to something you know lacking in us obviously sure um can i uh can i go just a little, yeah, yeah. little bit further here i know we've gone long here but no it's good complete this uh uh project just a little bit that the uh or this topic um that relationship of analogy that we've been talking about right yeah. this analogy of attribution and applying and thinking about creaturely perfections as signs of God. Um, that's ultimately rooted in this, what I mentioned before, which is that non-univocal causal relation. Um, yeah. And and there, yeah, actually, it's, that's a very technical sounding thing, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I'll give you two examples. And this is important. Why is it important? It's important because our ability to speak about God naturally is dependent upon the causal relation, right? Yeah. If it yeah, wasn't yeah. for that causal relation, we would have no natural way of talking about God, right? Right. So then we need to think about, well, what kind of causal relation is at stake here, okay? Yeah. And and Thomas distinguishes between univocal causal relations and non-univocal causal relations. Univocal causal relations are when a man begets a son. Mm-hmm. A man begets a son. Well, you know, the man and it, you know is the cause, along with the mother, of the son. Well, you know, they're both human beings, right? They're both homo sapiens, right? Yeah. And the offspring is a homo sapien. They're all within the same genus, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, we can say uh, human of the father, human of the mother, and human of the son. And human right. is the same thing, right? Uh, does that make sense? That it's a univocal yeah. predication. So it's a univocal predication based on a univocal causal relation, right? Right. Uh, they're all operating within the same genus. There are other causes, though, in which we have a non-univocal causal relationship. That is a causal relationship that's super generic, right? Uh, in which the <laughs> the in which the the cause transcends the genus of the effect. Let me say that again. Okay. Yeah, say it again. Right? A non-univocal <laughs> causal relationship is one in which the cause transcends the genus of the effect. Okay, so that means it's operating outside of the category of the effect. The example, the stock example that's used uh, here is the way in which the sun is the cause of plant life. Mm. Clearly, the sun sun is not a plant. It's outside of the genus of plant, clearly, right? I mean, I don't understand a whole lot about the sun, but it's like a gigantic nuclear explosion or something going on and on right it's you know it's it's not plant life and yet it's the cause of life yeah. in plants isn't that interesting right and yeah, so, yeah yeah so what we would say there is we can learn something about the sun from plants right um but it's very remote it's very imperfect and that's because what we have here is a cause that transcends the category of the plant and what's really key in re- replying to i think the critics critics of uh natural theology is to recognize that the category of plant life is not in this instance how we would learn about the sun right right we don't pull the sun down into the category of plant life that makes zero sense to do right we what we have here is a cause that transcends the category that we know we take that category and from it extrapolate some things about the cause, right? But we don't do that by applying the category of plant to the sun, right? And it's very, and it's completely the same when we're thinking about 
applying creaturely categories to God. God's effects in creaturely perfections can indicate to us something about God, but we clearly don't drag the transcendent uncaused cause down into our creaturely categories in order to learn about it, right? In doing so, we would falsify everything we had to say about the uncaused cause. So, so correct me in the, if this is not a correct summary. Um, so, so in, so when we're doing natural theology, we're, we're not getting where, where the goal of it is not to get at the essence right. of God right. or anything like that. Right. Like we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to get at God's inner life right. or anything like that. Right. It's not, uh, uh, we're not looking at God as kind of this, this subject matter in this way, mm. but like studying plants to learn something about the sun that's right you can know something but you're not going to get at the the essence of the sun by studying plants that's right but you'll understand you'll understand again the 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 focus being that causal relation that's right and even and even what we do learn about god from his effects right is not on the basis of having some concept that captures god or reduces god to creaturely categories Rather, what we learn about God from his effects is entirely has to do with the way in which the effects depend upon God. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It does. And that's a helpful way to, to I think, you know, make that distinction so that, you know, we don't, uh, uh, we don't fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, we're just kind of, uh, um, you know, natural theology. We don't want to reduce natural theology to just uh, rationalism or something like that or, or, or anything like that. Um, or, or, or saying it's essentially useless. No, I mean, you, we, we can know something. Uh, and, you know, there, there's, you know, deep meaning in um, nature. You know, I think that's the other thing that's, that I think is, uh, is helpful to remember that, you know, everything that God created, which is everything, right, uh, is filled with meaning and purpose, right? That's right, that's right. And, and God is the cause of that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's explore that relationship. Let's explore... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and see if we can understand something about, um, you know, uh, uh, about who God is from this, while at the same time, <laughs> knowing and understanding that we're not going to get at his essence, right? right. So right. it's a wholly unfulfilling um, project. So great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wholly unfulfilling. Okay, okay. Right. <laughs> it's useful, right? It's useful. It's, yeah, Christian. it's very useful. Uh, I think, you know, you can think about it in terms of just your own intellectual development. Um, yeah. It provides you with ways of thinking about God when you're in prayer. Uh, it provides uh, you, you know, the Christian theologian with resources for talking about things like providence, you know, um, things of that nature. It does not, and I think it's, this is right on, it does not give us quantitative knowledge of God. And if, yeah. you know, uh, if that's what you're looking for in philosophy, you're looking in the wrong place, right? <laughs> you know, philosophy is a handmaiden and, you know, she can serve well, but you shouldn't expect more of her than what she can actually provide. Yeah. And I think the, the other thing that it does, uh, you know, or at least for me is, you know, it does, it gives you a, 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 a bigger, a bigger view of of all of creation and what i mean by and why that why i think that's important is because i think many times in christianity we can fall into a uh, um, 
kind of just a, a spiritualism where yes. uh, it, it almost falls into like, you know, some dualism where, you know, you know, to, you know, essentially, you know, to, to hell with the created world and even my body, you know, I'm going to focus on my spirit, you know, and my spirituality and all these things. Well, you know, no, I mean, cause you know, that's, it's not, it's not re us being made in the image and likeness of God. Right. That's, that's not reflective of who God is. Right. He, right. he didn't just create the world just to have something to play with. You know, it's not like a little <laughs> kid in Plato, uh -huh. you know, where he just creates something just to destroy it. But no, he's, he's, he's placed meaning and purpose and, and you know uh, again uh, uh there's there's something that is revealing about nature itself that we can that we can come to understand yes a uh, yes. little bit about the creator right yeah. not in his essence but we can understand a little bit about his creator so you know like you said it, it elevates the mind and uh it can refute right agnosticism and, um, you know, like you said, uh, as well, provide theology with those useful analogies. That's right. Uh, awesome. Well, Dr. Smith, I think you've given uh, our listeners a lot to think about here. And, uh, and I think it should be, I think it should be refreshing, right? I sure. think to, uh, 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 to Christians, right? That, that uh, we don't want to just simply reduce our thinking, uh, reduce our rational thinking to just matters of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't just want to reduce our theological exploration to just spiritual matters, but mm -hmm. uh, to understand a more full picture of, of creation, of nature, of who we are, of what the world is, and uh, God's plan of salvation and how it all fits together. Um, and so I want to invite all our listeners, uh, head over to catholicstudiesacademy.com. Check out all of our content over there. Uh, and if you're so inclined, which I hope you are after this podcast, uh, to sign up for some courses and again, uh, to begin to, to, to take that intellectual journey to dive deeper into these things. Um, because I could say from just my own personal experience, um, uh, dive, it, it, it's like swimming when you're a kid, you dive in once and it's awesome. And then what do you have to do? You got to do it over and over and over again. It's, it's so much fun. I love, and you know, and I enjoy, and I, I get so much, uh, um, after you know diving into these subjects waiting a little bit letting it marinate dive back into these subjects and 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 explore them a little bit more and go deeper and deeper into them so i just want to invite all our listeners uh check out all of our content over there and uh um uh, in the meantime god bless <laughs>